I think a lot of us feel as if we are halfway down the slippery slope, all the way being told that there is no slippery slope and that we're just overreacting and we're being ridiculous. Well, Tina brought, a, brought to my attention um, a few days ago an article that came out that we're going to be discussing today about a legislator in Minnesota that was essentially trying to remove language from the law that made it very, very clear that pedophilia was not to be considered part of the human rights legislation that had passed in the state of Minnesota. And it happened shortly after we had other, not legislation, but recommendations coming from the United Nations, essentially doing the same thing with decriminalizing uh, sex with minors. And so I'm going to tell you right now, if, if your kids are in the car with you, this might be an episode to listen to a little bit later because we're going to show some of the receipts um, and we're going to do it despite the fact that YouTube might have a problem with it because what this really comes down to is we have been gaslighted for way too long. And it's about time that we look at all the different arguments that have been made. We look at the different directions in which things are moving. And this is very important. It's the direction things are moving because you're going to look at some of the things that we put up today and we're going to show you what the other side also says about it. This is not a big deal. It doesn't do what you think it does. Just calm down. Nobody's saying that they want to they want to legalize or they want to normalize this sort of inappropriate behavior with minors. Nobody's saying that. There's just unique things that we're trying to get to. I just want to remind you, we have heard it all before. We have heard it all before. And the question is, because every other time we heard it, it was about situations that people had different viewpoints. People can make arguments about what consenting adults should or should not be allowed to do. We're not talking about consenting adults anymore. And I'm tired of hearing that we're on the slippery slope. So we're going to show you the receipts and give you the arguments that you need to combat it. All of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. Thank you for joining us. Two quick things before we get into today's show. One, we want to thank you all for helping us reach our goal of getting to 1,000 subscribers on the Making the Argument channel by May 1st. Yes, we did pass that goal, and we want to thank you for that. Secondly, we have a new community chat that we've really been enjoying enjoying using. We want you to join at the link in the description of this show. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it's in the description. If you're live with us on YouTube or Rumble right now, head to the description as well. And again, we are streaming on Rumble too, just in case YouTube decides to kick us off. We've got a backup. Thank you for joining us. All right. I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a reasonably good guy. With me, my beautiful bride, Tina, queen of the bees. Hello, everyone. Of course, our political prognosticator and resident historian, Christian Hines. Hey. And our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Thank you, Nick. All right. Listen, it's kind of a weighty topic today, but um, I, I, think it's, I think it's necessary that we uh, equip you with everything you need. Because again, I, I think what this comes down to is everyone understands this is wrong and everyone kind of feels that we're moving in this direction. And the biggest question I get asked is, okay, what do we do about it? So first we're going we're gonna, to, I think, just eliminate any idea that there aren't powerful elements within society, I'm not blaming everybody on the left, I'm not blaming every elected Democrat, but it's become obvious that, that the push to normalize this sort of behavior between adults and children is coming predominantly from the left, right? I'm sorry, that's just reality. If the left doesn't like that, I got good news. You can do something about it. You cannot elect people that do the sort of things we're going to be talking about today. You can do that. And if you're serious that nobody wants this sort of behavior, I look forward to watching how you vote on legislation like this. I look forward to watching on who you vote to elect you. 
So let's go ahead and get to this first one coming right from Minnesota. And this was the article that Tina brought up. Transgender Minnesota lawmaker introduces bill removing anti-pedophile language from state's Human Rights Act. Minnesota State Rep Lee Fink told Fox News Digital the language never should have been included in the statutory definition in the first place. Right? So the, 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 let's go down and let's, let's look very briefly on what exactly. Uh, so the bill is called the Take Pride Act. Uh, HF 1655, and it was introduced earlier this year by uh, state rep, again, Lee Fink, a member of the Democratic Farmer Labor Party and the first transgender legislator in Minnesota House history. The bill would amend Minnesota's Human Rights Act, which is described as the state's one of the strongest civil rights laws in the country. The The current Human Rights Act protects against discrimination based on sexual orientation defined as having or being perceived as having an emotional, physical, or sexual attachment to another person without regard to the sex of that person or having been perceived as having an orientation for such attachment or having or being perceived as having a self-image or identity not traditionally associated with one's biological maleness or femaleness. Okay, what essentially they're doing? There's one more important part just below yeah. this. Yeah. The law also includes this caveat. Sexual orientation does not include a physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult. Here's the important part. Hamilton, you want to pull up the uh, link to the bill so that way we could we could hand it back to to Nick. Nick, um, Hamilton and I actually read through this legislation before we started today's live stream. Um, this is the segment that really matters, and I'd love to get your take on this because it's it's very similar to how it works in Virginia. Yeah. Um, for those that are watching, everything that's struck out is existing code that this bill would remove yeah. and the underlying portions are things that are not currently in the code that are being inserted. Everything else is already existing code that's not being touched. So the, yeah, the important point is you're looking at this. If you, if you look at, um, you know, section six subsection, um, it says gender identity. And what you're going to see is a bunch of terms and, and what, what the Senate or what the uh, representative has in there is Gender identity means a person's inherent sense of being a man, woman, both, or neither. A person's gender identity may or may not be can correspond to their assigned sex at birth or to their primary or secondary sex characteristics. A person's gender identity is not necessarily visible to others. What 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 the so rep that's wants being to do added into what, what the rep code. wants to do is add that language into the code. So what what this would essentially mean is that it would be the law in Minnesota that whatever you identified as as with respect to your gender. And, and I think it's interesting that gender identity means a person's inherent sense of being a man, woman, both, or neither. Um, it, it's still almost it's still can I, a quasi-binary choice. Can but, I point out something that's actually really disturbing here? Yeah. It's not what they're inserting. It's what they're taking out. And for two reasons. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm – go ahead. It's actually already kind of in the code that gender identity is protected. And here's what I mean. If you scroll up just a little bit more to the previous paragraph, Hamilton, section four, there we go. It, this is this is their, their non-discrimination statute. It's way to the left of what a lot of states have because they already include things like sexual orientation in their non-discrimination statute, right? And so they say that, you know, um, you know there'll, there'll be no discrimination on basis of race, color, creed, religion, national origin, sex, the insertion of the bill's gender identity. Age, disability, marital status with regard to public assistance, sexual orientation, or familial status. And then it defines what sexual orientation is. This is the old code. And they say sexual orientation means having or being perceived as having, having emotional, physical attachment, yada, yada. But notice how there's there's one thing in here that they already have. 
when they define sexual orientation that I find very interesting. They say, or having or being perceived as having a self-image or identity not traditionally associated with one's biological maleness or femaleness. They already put gender identity in the definition of sexual orientation in the existing code that they're altering. And so when this new bill creates a new definition for gender identity, lo and behold, this new definition for gender identity is already covered in sexual orientation in the definition for that. So what's the, sub what's the substantive thing that they're changing in the bill? They're not actually adding a new class for, for protected status in here because this, this supposedly new class that they're adding for protected status is already defined under the old definition of sexual orientation. The one substantive thing that they're changing is the most disturbing part of this bill when they remove the, the, the definition where they say sexual orientation does not include a physical or sexual attachment to, to children by an adult. Do you get where I'm, where I'm going oh, here? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So they basically, what they did is they removed the gender identity stuff only to put the gender identity stuff right back in with, I mean, clearly the goal was to get rid of this other thing, but they were trying to make it look like they're cleaning up language. Yes. So and creating a new protected class when that protected class is already protected. Well, it the, was already the, protected. All they really wanted to do is cross out, cross out the portion that, that is highlighted. Well, there. they okay. So let's let's be let's be intellectually honest. Yeah, that's not all he did. Okay. Right? So the, so part of it was you're you're right. So so Christian's point, and this is important when you're when you're reading when you're reading code sections because everyone loves to do that. But when you're reading code sections, you're commonly looking at okay, what is already in code before you add something else for obvious reasons? Because if it is code, especially in several different places, you're gonna have to change it. So when when you're looking at this again, the the underlying portion is what is being added. So what the rep did was add a, a whole new subsection under gender identity, and he expanded that. Right? They expanded the definition of that because he didn't think the one that currently existed under sexual orientation was complete. So he, he did do that. What, what I don't understand, what makes no sense in any of this, the rep could have done everything that he supposedly wanted to do without even touching that sexual orientation does not include a physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult. Could have done everything he needed to do without even like doing anything to that particular piece of code section. But not only did he get now, now what he could have done is he could have come right out and said, yeah, that was a mistake in drafting. Uh, I actually didn't intend for that one. I just wanted this, this, this separate could have said that, but instead, what, what do we get treated to as soon as, as soon as we notice that, wait a second, you just took out a very, very important portion of this code section, which, which is designed to ensure that as you're expanding the definition of human rights, we're not including pedophilia. We're not including any sort of, of pedophilia activity. And now his response is, well, you don't need that because it's already illegal. Yeah, go back to where, uh, go back to the article if you can, Hamilton, and down below is where this person talks about uh, nothing in the bill changes or weakens any crime against children or the state's ability to prosecute those who break the law, Fink said. Of course, pedophilia is not a sexual orientation. The language should never have been there, been included in the statutory uh, definition in the first place. This, That's and this disingenuous. Is, yeah, I'll, this is the part. This is the part where people get mad. Something like this happens. It was intentional. I'm telling you right now. This person wanted to see if they could get away with it. They wanted to see what they get. And it be. And the reason why they did it this way is because the moment you come in and say, "Wait a second, 
What are you trying to do? They can look back at you and be like, stop overreacting. You're, you're making something out of nothing. Nobody wants to do what you're suggesting. Nobody, th of course it's not this way. The code section is still the same with respect to the crimes involved. How dare you say, this is an attack on me as a transgender person. That's exactly what this is designed to do. And the reason why we know this is because it's been done before. Well, here's the thing too, is the way that the code works is there are legal definitions within the code. So when... This person says, well, of course, it's not included under sexual orientation. Well, it wasn't until you struck it out. Now, potentially, it could be. This person is laying groundwork. We've watched this over and over and over again with Democrats. They will lay groundwork in order to push the, the line further down the road. They do it with everything they touch, everything they want to either get rid of or implement. They lay groundwork first. This is laying groundwork and nothing more. It's, it's even worse than that because what this person... What, what, what this what this representative is saying is, oh, well, we haven't touched anything in the code about criminal acts against children. Yeah. That's true. I actually have, I, I don't have it pulled up here, but I, I pulled it up on my computer of the, the Minnesota code. It's it's 609.352 uh, um, for those that are actually interested in, in looking, at, uh, looking it up themselves, where the statute talks about crimes against children, sexual crimes against children. Yes, obviously that's not being changed here, but, but notice how, the, the bill that they introduced is dealing with the non-discrimination statute, right? It's dealing with protected classes. It's not dealing with criminal acts. It's it's expanding their human rights statute yes. to say these people are, are, you know, get special legal protections by the state. So it's because we ultimately know that they about, want to add minor attracted children. They want to change the word pedophilia, take away the stigma and call persons. it minor attracted persons. We already see it all over the board. So th think about where this is going. It's still illegal in Minnesota to engage in any sort of sexual act with a child as an adult, right? So, fa so but far. <laughs> what this does is remove any clarification in the code that explicitly says pedophilia is not a protected class. So now what you've done is basically open the door to say, yeah, this is still an illegal act, but the act of being a pedophile can now, you could you could argue, mm -hmm. this now falls under a protected class. Well, well you the, also the, have the issue of people identifying as different ages. You've got men who will identify as like a seven-year-old girl. And under the code now, getting rid of this, you, he's now protected, right? Because well, he can identify as whatever he feels his state of being is. The thing when I when I posted this on Twitter, somebody, you know, one of my somebody trolls, like regularly trolls. trolls my page, right? Like every day, it's it's a little bit weird. He's made some weird like videos of me. Like he's he's a weird dude. Anyway, but he comes on. He goes, "This is ridiculous. This bill has like two co patrons, and you know, it's not going anywhere." Like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. I have heard that before. Oh, and, you know, nobody nobody cares about this. That nobody was the defense this, this guy put oh, up. Yeah, yeah, but but this goes. This also goes to Tina's point about when code changes. So when you have something in code and you take it out without any sort of clarifying language on, on why you took it out, right? So the, the argument here is, well, we took this out, but criminal code still remains the same. When you start to have legal questions, when things start to go to court over things, and the legislature has actively removed something from code, your court system takes that into account. Why, why did the legislature proactively remove something from the code? 
Now, you can, you can say with complete intellectual honesty that it doesn't change the nature of the criminal penalties associated with certain acts. But it does raise questions on, again, why you would pull it out and how the court system is going to have to interpret that if you do have one of these gray area issues that come up, right, where someone does, I, I identify as being younger, you know, is, is it a criminal act if I too identify as younger? That's the nefarious part. It's it, yeah. it, because you've opened the door to say, well, as long as I don't do anything with children, I can identify as this and get legal protections by the state. I can I can identify as being thirty years younger than I am yeah. and get legal protections by the state. It, it, like it. Well, it gets I mean, to, even to Tina's point about there. opening the door to yeah. further nefarious stuff. Well, they're stuff. saying right there in in uh, subsection fifty. Uh, is that what that is? No. Uh, for anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right the there segment. in the code, it'll say a person's gender identity may or may not correspond with their assigned sex at birth or their primary or secondary sex characteristics. What does that mean? Primary or and, secondary sex characteristics. A, a person's gender identity is not necessarily visible to others. Keep, keep in mind too the the other thing. Just on, just because it could a, be anything. That at that point you've got your. Well, just on a side note, what this also set things up is is the whole the whole idea of compelled speech. We're we're getting to a point where somebody can identify a particular way and where it says a person's gender identity is not necessarily visible to others. You're now, you're now creating a situation where if you automatically say, yes, ma'am, no, sir, or can I help you with that, ma'am? You know, okay. You, right. you now potentially violated somebody's right. civil rights under sexual orientation and, and gender identity statute within, yeah. within Minnesota. And, and this is part where you, you create these impossible situations where now I, I'm, before I can address you at all, I'm supposed to ask you, what, what your preferred pronouns are. And if your pronouns completely do not correspond with reality, I'm now compelled by state law to address you the way that you insist on being addressed at that given time. And again, since all of this is fluid, theoretically, you could change you know, back and forth all the time. And if I'm not every time addressing you, re-questioning, you know, I'm a business owner, I'm, I'm the bellhop, I'm whatever. Hey, what, I'm sorry, what are your preferred pronouns? Oh, I told you yesterday. Yeah, but what are they right now? Because I don't want to violate state law with respect to civil rights. Well, I get what you're saying, but the point I was making has more to do with um, gender being like such a wide swath of things now. They they put it into just, I mean, anything can fall into it. I mean, like people can identify as an animal. Well, that's, being that's gender, within that's their gender. Though. Hold on. So identifying as a woman. Uh, a male identifying as a woman is very different than a male identifying as a girl. So a girl signifies age. Yeah. Well, you've got plenty of people identifying as girls now. Oh yeah. Girlhood. And so age is part of that gender identity. I, I think legally from what I've seen, I, I get what you're saying. And and I don't and I don't doubt that's where a lot of people want well, to go. Well, so far, yeah, we can stop it legally. I think there's but gonna be the more states do what this person wants to do, yeah. you're not gonna no, no, be that, stopping it. You're gonna point. be adding it into the gender identity. Well, let, let's go let's go to this next one. It was Colorado Dems vote against harsher penalties for indecent exposure to kids because it could, quote, ban drag shows. State Rep Leslie Herod, a Democrat, said the bill could target transgender residents in Colorado. So let's let's go ahead and look at what uh, what exactly this well, bill was can, seeking to do. Where's the code? Christian, do you have the code? Is the code up anywhere? That, okay, yeah, there we go. Yeah. This is a very short bill. This is We don't even need to scroll. Okay. This is all you need to but see. Let, I want to point out something here. Because when they say child, yeah. everyone Im immediately in their mind thinks 18. Yeah. Nope. 
A child, me in the definition, it says child means a person under 15. Yeah. So you can't expose yourself or, and there's another portion, you know, like you can't. Well, the first, well, here's the important part. Here's what the, here's what this person was trying to add to the code section, right? When the person who commits indecent exposure knew there was a child in view of the act and the person is more than 18 years of age and more than four years older than the child, Child means a person under 15 years of age. Go ahead and scroll down. And then it goes into things about, you know, the state fiscal year is appropriate to the judicial department, this appropriation from the general fund to implement this act. And the reason why there's money with respect to implementing this act is that when you're increasing penalties for something, there, there's uh, the assumption that the state is actually going to have to prosecute and do things like that. And so you allocate money for it. We, we have this in Virginia with various things. So that, that's what's going on here. But you, you look at how this is fairly simple. They're taking existing code. There's an existing code section that explains uh, indecent exposure. And then they're adding this category, right, with respect to how it applies to children. And Democrats were concerned that this would adversely affect Drag shows. Now, here's my question. We actually have a video clip from the Colorado House where a Democrat explicitly says that. It's only like 15 seconds long if you want to play it, Hamilton. I can. I may have a little issue with audio. Well, look, let, let's just go Let's just go with, again, we, we kind of know what the argument here is. My, my, my question that goes back to all this is that the concern is this could target transgender residents in Colorado. Okay, does anything here in this code section with respect to indecent exposure suggest that somebody could not dress in drag, right? You know, again, go to the store. No, absolutely not. You, you no. can dress however you want and go to the store, provided you're not engaging in indecent exposure. Just don't whip it out, okay? Right? And for anybody that wants to tell me that, well, that's not what this is all about. There, there's stuff all over Twitter right now of a, a drag show that was done at a school where I think it's a 10th grader sitting in the chair. Getting a lap dance. Getting a lap dance. Like this is not, we're, we're not making this crap up, okay? This isn't us just engaging in hysterics. They're actively doing it. And what this is saying is, is that we're going to make a very clear distinction here because here's what I find interesting. Drag shows are legal right now. Drag shows are legal. Now, you bring a kid to a burlesque show and, and there's indecent exposure taking place, then somebody can get in trouble for indecent exposure. Yeah. Just like you can't take your kid into a, a strip club. Well, here's what the person said. Here's, but it's part of my identity. Oh my God. Um, they said these types of law. this is Democrats talking, these types of laws have been used to ban drag shows. To, this is, okay, guys, this is an indecent exposure law, meaning yeah. you can't show your junk to somebody it's a minor. who's not just a minor, but under the age of 15. Yeah, 15 and under. 15 and under. This, I like, that's a big deal. Um, these types of laws have been used to ban drag shows, to target individuals who use the, the restroom. So to target individuals who use the restroom. Guys, listen, okay? Christian's like cringing because he just knows the ick factor's coming. Um, <laughs> we will talk about this in this episode of why they've been able to get away with yeah. it because yeah. I think the ick factor is part of the reason. Okay, yeah. people don't want to hear the things that are icky. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable to talk about. I'm going to try my best not to get too uncomfortable. However, let me just say, as a an actual biological woman, I don't know what goes on in a man's restroom. Okay, so I can't speak for that. But in a woman's restroom, I don't care what your sexual orientation is. I don't care what your gender is. I don't, I don't care how old you are. You don't whip it out in the bathroom and show everybody. 
I how how is this targeting transgenders by saying you can't show your junk in the bathroom or anywhere else? Like we don't want to see your sexual organs, okay? And this is the thing is that the Democrats are literally saying that that saying that you can't whip it out in a bathroom targets transgenders. How does it target transgenders? We're saying no one can whip it out in the bathroom. Yeah. So are you saying that transgender people are more likely to whip it out in the bathroom? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, okay. Well, well, we're going to bring up the ick factor because Tina was, was, we were having this conversation shortly yeah. before, um, before we started, uh, live streaming. And I was telling Tina, I was like, you know, I, I just don't think that it's worth bringing that up. And she's like, why? And I was like, because of the ick factor. And I was explaining what that is. And there's this thing within conservative politics where, when uh, when a conservative politician or organization wants to talk about this type of stuff, a lot of people tune out. Yeah, at, like like we'll click off, not watch, or or whatever. And what we've noticed, because I've I've worked in this field for many years, what we've noticed is that like, lo and behold, the left has actually been able to take advantage of that fact and and push hard, push the envelope as hard as they possibly can, because whenever the right tries to bring it up and say, look at what they're doing, yeah, people people they don't want to watch it. They, 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 they click off because of what we call the ick factor. That's not a legal term, right? Yeah. But like the, it's the people who have a visceral reaction to even hearing about this are the people who like, we, we don't want to believe this is going on. We have a visceral reaction to it. We don't want to talk about it, but the problem is we have to talk about it. We have a visceral reaction, but there is a whole swath of the population who likes this stuff, you guys. And if we have a visceral reaction to it, we've got to stand up to it. Well, the only way to stand up to it is to talk about it. Here's an example. Libs of TikTok. Yeah. When they talk about, <laughs> well, and, and it's a good and it's bad It's a perfect thing example. Because the ick factor is also in play here. I, I don't know about you guys, but like when Libs of TikTok posts certain content, I, I keep scrolling on my phone on, on, on Twitter or whatever because, I, because of the ick factor. I just don't want to see it. And, and, and the left kind of knows this and they take advantage of that. So then when they push this, let's just, let's call it what it is. When they push this just straight up degeneracy, because that's what it is, they're able to get away with it half the time because a lot of people want to stick their head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist and that it's not happening. And yes, you've got groups like Lib, Libs of TikTok that brings the, these things up. And a lot of times people do watch Libs of TikTok and have seen increasingly over the last, what, two or three years now, like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on? Like stuff that five minutes ago, everybody was on the same page about this not being normal and not being acceptable. And now it's being openly pushed and not just openly pushed, you know, you're told that you must celebrate it. Yeah. Like, so so thank God that Libs of TikTok has brought a lot of these things up. And I know that you actually have some well, the, examples. The, the reaction, the reaction to Libs of TikTok was fascinating as well because what Libs of TikTok did primarily was share the left's content. And it became very painful oh, and they got because, mad because about libs, it. libs of TikTok was the best response to a libs or to a leftist. I shouldn't say a liberal because they're not liberals. Was the best response to a leftist saying nobody wants to because what you could do is go to libs of TikTok and scroll for thirty two seconds and find six videos of somebody that absolutely wants to do what you're saying. Where they they're want actually to do. saying the quiet with, part out loud. Where they're saying the quiet part out loud. And then what was the left's reaction to libs of TikTok? It wasn't to be like, oh my gosh, we got a lot of crazies. We we need to separate ourselves. No, it was to blame libs of TikTok. Demand that they be. To down. demand that they be taken down. Like, why? She's sharing. You know what? When people share my content, I'm happy. Why, why are you all mad when she's sharing your content? Why is that? I don't understand. And it's because too many people were saying the quiet part out loud on TikTok and the left didn't like it. So 
and 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 again, it doesn't it doesn't stop with that. Well, I'll, I'll give you two examples within the legislature, and this is actually goes to to um, Christian's point about the ick factor. When Delegate Anderson got up with his bill that exposed the the openly pornographic material that was was in our public school system, right? Not theoretically, was not this maybe this year. Yes, not theoretically, not maybe not. He brought the receipts. Here's pictures from the book. So this was just a few weeks ago. This was this was in a month uh, this was in this February. February. Okay. January, February. We had to dismiss the pages from the House floor because they're 13 and 14 years old. And then he, he proceeded to show examples. Again, very graphic pictures of children engaging, minors engaging in sexual acts. Pictures of it and within adults. those books, within those books, sometimes with adults, right? So and, and then not only that, but also gratuitous acts of violence as well. And he said, look, here's what my bill does. My bill would say that if you have books that meet the, the criteria, this definition that we're putting in code, then the li school library doesn't have to ban the book, doesn't have to get rid of the book. They just have to make a list on their website available to parents showing them that these books exist and then allowing that parent to opt their child out of checking out that book. That was it. No banning, no censoring, no burning books all in a pile like we were accused of doing. That was it. Not a single Democrat voted for it. Not one Democrat voted to say, you know what? Okay, hey, you're not banning the books. We're not going to go down that. Yeah. But you're making sure that parents know and parents have an option of opting their child out of checking it out. Nope, not one of them could do it. And I remember a Republican telling me, well, you know, Nick, I think, I think Tim went a little bit too far with showing all that gratuitous stuff on the floor. And, and I sat there and I, I said, hmm, okay. So you think it was inappropriate to be able to show those pictures and depictions within the floor of the House of Delegates because we are a deliberative body and it was inappropriate. How much more inappropriate is it that it is in one of these, kid, one of these, these kids' schools funded by tax dollars? Like if, if it, gosh, if it really challenges our fragile sensibilities, what the hell do you think it does to a 14-year-old that was going through a book that didn't know it was going to be there. What, what do you, how do you think the parents feel when we're consistently telling them, or not we, the left, is cons Democrats are consistently telling these parents, this isn't in your school, this is ridiculous, this is all about book burning and censorship, only to find out that this is the only way, this is the only way, apparently, that we could actually get it written into the record. That no, these books are there, and you as a parent have a right to know about it. But we don't want to do that because it's icky. It's uncomfortable. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't rise to the decorum of the House of Delegates. Take your decorum and shove it, literally. I am so tired of being told that I'm supposed to sit here in the midst of that sort of perverse indoctrination of children and, and say nothing because it might make someone feel uncomfortable. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't feel uncomfortable with this, something is wrong with you. But if in your if if in your sense of discomfort, your reaction is to turn away and ignore it, you may be worse. You may be worse than some of the people trying to perpetuate it. Because I just cannot I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine seeing something like that and thinking, well, gosh, I have no obligation here except to just turn my head and go along my merry way because after all, that makes me feel icky. 
Oh my gosh. So what did what did delegate limp wrist say in response to that? No, no, and, and it wasn't I'm not even talking about a delegate. I'm talking about just a fellow Republican. Well, that, that's what I meant. Oh, oh, it wasn't in I, the I'm legislature. Not, I'm not talking about a delegate. I'm talking about a Republican that was was, you know, uncomfortable with that. And and Oh, forget to, that. To this is credit, why Trump came to, along. Wait a second. To their credit, they said that's a really good point. I didn't think of it that way. And and I okay, fine. I can appreciate that. But what I'm talking about is like, look, guys, I, I realize none of us want to spend our time doing this. None of us want to spend our day going through and, and looking at this. I don't want this. I would love to just sit here and do a homesteading episode. That would be so, and we will, don't worry, we will. <laughs> but if we don't address this as it is coming out, because one thing nobody in our audience is going to be able to say is we had no idea. All right. So, because look, let, let's, let's move on. I got another one here. I want to, I want to bring up, I threw it up in Slack. It's about the United Nations. Well, can I mention one thing real quick? Yeah. One of the reasons why we took uh, examples from all over the place is later on in this article, um, the Repo the Democrats who voted against that bill and we don't need to pull it up, but the Democrats who voted against that particular bill, you guys, they said, well, we were looking all around the country at our colleagues who were fighting similar bills like this because of similar concerns. And so the point is that, you guys, this is not isolated to California. No. This is not just your bluest bastions. No, this is all over the place. Well, and we're going to go, we're going to go internationally here for a second because a new UN backed legal recommendations, normalized sex with minors, outraged critics say, right? So that that's the idea. And, and the thing that's important about to understand about this article, because again, what you will hear when, whenever we bring this up and saying, Hey, what, what, what the heck is going on here? What we will hear is you're overreacting. That's ridiculous. You know, th this is, this is about addressing something very unique. It's not about, you know, just widely endorsing pedophilia. Again, what will you hear? That's ridiculous. Nobody wants to whatever. Right? And, and what then they hear. accuse you of being a fascist book burner, yeah, you're a fascist which is book really, really funny because it was the left that loves censoring information. They literally brag about it. Yeah all the time. I mean, our, our previous guest from our last podcast was literally banned from Twitter because the left wanted to censor what he had mm -hmm. to say. So I, like, it, it, honestly, it's really, we've talked about this before that like there's, there's some elements of the left, not every single Democrat, of course. Right. But there's some elements of the left that just consistently accuse us of yeah. what they are guilty of. Yeah over and over and over again. This happens all the time. You actually showed me, we don't have it on screen here, but but speaking of libs of TikTok earlier and then segueing into the, into the UN conversation, like libs of TikTok pointed out um, there was a, a teacher in Hawaii that was just going on a rant on Twitter about how it's conservatives that are doing this and that uh, uh, about the whole like pedophilia thing and child pornography. Oh, you're and just stuff projecting. Like that. Yeah, you're just projecting. Oh, here I'll, I'll read it right now. Okay, this this is from a this is from a teacher in Hawaii who said you're effing acting, and he didn't say effing. You're effing acting like we want to show kids porn or something. But something I've learned through the years is that whatever right wingers accuse others of something, it's definitely because they're projecting. By the way, this teacher was arrested for engaging in sexual activity with a 13 year old, taking pictures of it and then sharing it with other people. Distributing child pornography. Apps, distributing mm -hmm. child pornography, right? That was the guy, the same guy that tweeted that statement was actually doing that and has and has been arrested for it. This isn't conjecture. Yeah, the gaslighting is real. Yeah. It really is. So, but this this whole thing with the UN, I, I want to, um, there's a, a portion here I want to read because as, as you scroll down a little bit, 
Um, the, the part that I think is, let, let's just get to what, what it has to do. The report is titled The Eight March Principles for a Human Rights-Based Approach to Criminal Law Prescribing Conduct Associated with Sex, Reproduction, Drug Use, HIV, Homelessness, and Poverty. Go ahead and scroll down. So that's, that's what it was about. Okay, stop. It does not actively call for decriminalizing sex between adults and minors. This is important to understand. But it states that children have both the capacity and the legal right to make sexual decisions. This is the part where it, it's important to understand where we're at and where they want to take us. There's because, a question in the chat that I think actually relates to this that I want to read off to yeah, you, go ahead. Um Somebody, Dark Zero, said, um, I have a question. Besides voting ag um, against the representatives engaged in this, um, how else do we fight this degeneracy? Or how do we convince them to listen to the truth? So I, I think that that's a great question. And, and again, that's one of the things that we're dedicated on the show. We don't want to just get you mad. We want to empower you with actual things that you can do about it. So first of all, um, if you're... If you are going to send your, there, there's two things here. And I know I'm going to go into education here because I think this is that that's where this is critical because you need to understand the, 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 cir the circumstances necessary for um, grooming and everything else to take place, that assault against children to text take place. It doesn't just happen overnight, right? There's a process. It, you, there's a really, really dark video out there, but it was a, it was of a convicted sexual um, predator uh, molester. And he's explaining exactly what he does. And one of the things he says in this video is he goes, if I saw a child whose father I thought would be a threat, I didn't get anywhere near around that kid. So you want to know the number one thing you can do as a parent, specifically as a father to protect your kids from this, be a threat to anybody that would hurt your children. Be a threat. And that is one of the things, this is this is more and more we're being told. That you don't think there's a reason why at the same time this has happened, we're all being told that if you have the capacity for aggression or the judicious use of violence, I don't mean just being a, a violent, uh, you know, <clears throat> unhinged person, the judicious use of violence, which is to say you are capable and willing to engage in acts of violence in order to defend the innocent. There's a reason why they are more and more categorizing things like that as toxic masculinity. There, there are people, and I hate just saying they, but it's, it's hard to categorize because they don't like to be categorized, but there are definitely people within, this, within the leftist movement that want you as a man, you as a father, you as a husband to be docile and non-threatening because then when they do stuff like this, you don't represent any sort of opposition to them because it's icky and because what can you do about it anyways? Well, I, I, will, I will tell you this. I, I had a, I was talking um, or a group in Manassas the other night, and we were bringing up some of these issues. And I said, I, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that I, as a father, discover somebody sexually manipulating or abusing mine or anybody else's child. And in the midst of catching them do this, they look at me and they say, but it's legal. Do you think that would even slow me down with what happened next? Nope. I can promise you it wouldn't. This is one of the biggest problems that we have right now. And, and one of the biggest miscalculations that I think is being made by people that are pushing this stuff. It's this idea that, well, as long as we can enshrine it in law, then it will be okay. No, 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 no. Let me, let me, let me break this out for you. There are two reasons why laws have any power whatsoever. One is, is because the people in general believe that the law is an accurate reflection of what is necessary to either maintain a moral and peaceful society and that they have some sort of say in the construction of law. That's the first component. That the law actually achieves justice. 
The second component of law and the reason why people obey it is because for the fear of non-compliance, what will happen to me if I break this law? Well, I can tell you this much right now. If people don't honestly have a sense that that first criteria is met, they gradually stop caring about the second criteria. And if you want to know, if you want a perfect example of how to get somebody from a law-abiding citizen to where I will no longer comply with this, do something to hurt their kids. And then have the audacity to tell them it's legal. Yeah, good luck with that. I, can I also point out that the whole legality thing is is kind of dangerous because there's conspiracy theorists bring this up, but there's actually a, a point here with with pedophiles that exist within government. Mm -hmm. And the, and I actually have a, a prominent historical example, like like documented historical example, and it's Cyril Smith in the UK. If you if anybody knows who he is, oh look gosh. look him up. He was a member of the um, Liberal Democrats, one of the minor parties that consistently hold seats in parliament. Very, very powerful member, especially whenever like tie-breaking stuff happens between the labor and conservatives. The liberal Democrats are always the kingmakers in that type of situation. So he amassed a tremendous amount of power in parliament when he was there. He was in office um, it, throughout the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, so he, he was in office for like 25, 30 years. And um, Cyril Smith was a, a closet pedophile who sexually abused literally like up to a hundred people in his like 30 year long career and like repeatedly groomed people in his office too. He, he would bring in like, like younger secretaries or aides and, and then groom them. And, um, consistently there, there would be like complaints filed against him, reports filed against him. People would even go to the police sometimes in the second, any sort of like, like police or constable in the UK would try to investigate this. They would be shut down. There would be, there, there would be, um, uh, requests that would be sent to them from the government, from, from parliament, mm -hmm. from higher ups. They would basically say, you're not allowed to investigate this. And, and in fact, they, they would apply like the official, the official secret act, um, secrets act to prevent investigations against him over and over and over again. It was almost like a commonly known thing. It was like the worst kept secret in parliament that he was doing this type of stuff. And because of the position and power that he had, nobody could ever touch him. And it wasn't until after he died in 2014, I believe is when he passed away, that finally stuff about him came out and it became just a massive scandal that involved both major parties, obviously involved the liberal Democrats. They got they got completely destroyed with their reputation on this because of how far up the ladder he was able to climb. And so the, the point is, is that a lot of times to this question that was asked about, well, what can you do other than voting? Sometimes things like this the voting is not going to do anything right mm -hmm. in a Cyril Smith type situation. He was in government. Yeah. And so, and by the way, that's not to say that like every member of parliament is a pedophile, no, right? No. Like, the point is, is that they can, people like him exist, right? And there's no amount of voting that's going to stop that from happening. And so I, I really well, think I, that Jordan Peterson's point about being a dangerous man yeah. is, you know, well, should be and, taken and seriously. Is, before, any, before anybody tries to insinuate that I'm advocating violence against people, no, what I'm advocating is violence in defense of your child if somebody is is abusing them. And I'm not going to make any I'm not going to make any apologies for that. No, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to we are supposed to if good people don't present a threat to those that would would exploit and hurt and kill the innocent, then what do you expect to stop them? 
I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the, the people that advocate this still pick up the phone and call the cops when they think they're in danger. And, and again, it's, it's, not just, it's not just with things like this with the UN where they're, where they're attempting to push this idea that minors have the, the ability to make sexual decisions for themselves because they'll come in and say, oh, this has nothing to do with, with pedophilia. No, no, it has to do with things like their identity. Now we go back to the United States and we have a Washington bill to allow medical transgender interventions on minors without parental consent. And, and again, before anybody thinks that this is just all crazy, we had a delegate in Virginia. Now, Virginia is a swing state. Washington is not. We had a delegate in Virginia that proudly got on the news and talked about, well, yeah, she was considering legislation. In fact, she's running for the Senate now, Elizabeth Guzman. She was considering legislation that would essentially make it a crime to not affirm your child's gender. And what she really meant was to affirm your child's gender dysphoria. And, and even Democrats in Virginia at the time were like, no, we're not, we're not doing that right now. Because they understand it's, an swing, it's an election year. It's a swing state. They know they're not going to take back the House if they're actually honest. Now, again, these are the same people that said nobody wants to take your guns. And then the moment they actually got into power, they were dropping bills to felonize people for, for owning a 15-round magazine. I mean, forget, forget the AR-15. If you had a 15-round magazine, the patron of that bill wanted you to have a felony, wanted you to lose your gun rights, wanted you to lose your voting rights. So am, am I supposed to believe that they actually, if they actually got in a position where they took the House, they took the Senate, they took the governor's office, that they wouldn't try to pass something like that? Again, you're already seeing bills like this in other states, in Washington, allow medical transgender interventions on minors without parental consent. Now, here's what's interesting, and I'll, I'll read this off for you. It says, an act relating to supporting youth, or Senate Bill 5599, allows host homes for runaway youth to house you without parental permission. Furthermore, the host homes do not need to notify parents about where their kids are or if they are getting medical interventions, if there is a compelling reason not to, which includes a youth seeking protected health services. So this is important to understand. I, I was talking with a, uh, with a teacher a while back, and we we're talking about this whole process of you know, what schools can and cannot do, what teachers can and cannot do when it comes to their child maybe identifying in a particular way. Um, and, and do parents need to be notified? And I, and I had a student actually come up to me who disagreed with me on this topic. He goes, well, why would you create a law that essentially forced the school to out their child to their parents? And I said, well, let's look at what the law says very carefully. The law we were proposing and what Governor Yunkin was proposing here in Virginia was essentially that if the school is going to reinforce the state of gender identity of the student, then the parents needed to be notified. So the parents weren't obligated to pick up the phone and, and call the parents and say, hey, we just want to let you know that I overheard Sally talking to Julie, that Sally feels like she, that's not what we were saying. But if the school was now going to actively engage in reinforcing this identity, then yes, the parents had to be informed at that point. Now, the number one response to this is, well, what if there's adverse consequences as a result of that? You don't think there's not, wait, you think there's no adverse consequences to the parents not knowing? See, that's the assumption that's so scary here. It's that the state knows best and must hide things from the parents because the parents might react badly. Oh, yeah, because we don't have any examples of governments reacting badly with respect to the education or manipulation of children, said somebody who's never read a history book. Can I point something out real quick? Yeah. Um, all of this language to me sounds very similar to the language that an abuser uses to a child to keep them from telling their parents things. If your parent finds out, you're going to get in so much trouble, and so will I. Mm -hmm. 
and your parent will come unhinged and, and you'll get hurt and so will I. We both will be in trouble. That's what abusers say to children when they're molesting children. They don't. They just and, don't oh, understand you like and, I do. So, exactly. And we're your family now. Your parents are disconnected and they don't understand. And we have a special connection. You guys, this is all grooming behavior and it's happening in the public schools. I just... There are so many amazing teachers, and I don't want anybody to take this as a slight against teachers or people who work with children in general, please. But there is corruption that also is involved. Um, listen, people who are predators go to wherever they see a nice deep pool of people that they can offend against. It's the same reason why a a child molester or or a rapist would go to a park it's because that's where children collect that's where children are and they want to be wherever their target might be and so any any anywhere where you've got somebody that has sort of a power trip or they they like to hurt other people you're going to see them trying to infiltrate areas of society that give them access so whether it's someone infiltrating you know politics in order to have access um, there and to to engage in certain types of corruption there. Or if, if it's someone who wants to infiltrate the school system because there are a lot of children there and they always look for um, people who are damaged in some way, soft targets. And so it it's really, I want to give the benefit of the doubt to teachers who love children and who love to work with children, love to teach them and and I'm not saying that they are the problem. I am saying that there is a segment of our society who are predators, no matter where they're at, and they're going to gravitate toward areas that allow them to hide in plain sight. Well, and, and what we're seeing, I mean, Hillary Clinton. And that's Hillary. why we keep seeing teachers who are coming up on this stuff. Like there is a clip right here. Can we play this clip? Guys, just watch watch this or those audio listen to this. Uh-oh. Give me one moment. Let me uh, get my audio selected. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. I just kind of threw that one at Hamilton, and he's scrambling to well, help, help While we're here. waiting for that, too, I'm going to read off this, this quote from Chelsea Clinton. Over 50% of the attempted book bans last year involved books with LGBTQ plus characters and themes. Books are a vital way that children, adolescents, and adults learn about themselves in our world. Bans such as these are nothing but harmful. And then she gives a list of the books or she shows a picture of the books. And it's some of the books that have like the explicit pornographic material in them. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and again, it's this, this idea that we're going to get to where this also goes into another category here. How is it possible that people are advocating for some of the things they're at, they put a rainbow flag on it. Mm -hmm. The moment they put a rainbow flag on it, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what is that pornographic material? Oh, you just, you just hate the LGBTQ plus community. Wait a second. If you put heterosexual pornography in my kid's school, I, I would, I would also be mad, right? Yeah. It's, it's the pornographic nature. It's not this. So let's, but this, let's the, go to, the point I am trying to make guys, isn't that everybody is bad here. The point I'm trying to make is, we, we have a tendency to send our kids off to certain places and assume that everyone has their best interest in mind and we give them the benefit of the doubt. All I'm saying is do not give the benefit of the doubt. If something looks shady, if something looks sketchy, you need to investigate. Yep. Okay, 
Check this out. Does anyone else remember the story about the Oregon pub that hosted a drag show featuring an 11-year-old? I'm having problems getting audio into the live stream. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, so this was a drag show featuring an 11-year-old drag queen, and they were quoted as saying, we want you all to come out and see what this 11-year-old drag queen can do. Well, it everybody, you know, all the left is totally up in arms saying that, oh, we want to ban drag shows, and why are drag shows bad for kids? I don't understand. This isn't bad. You know, and so they don't understand why, first of all, why drag shows would be bad. They don't classify it apparently as a burlesque show or what that a kid should not be involved in. Um, but this is actually th that 11 year old who was in that drag show, the person who was their drag mentor had been a school teacher and was just brought up on charges in the state of Oregon for child distributing and distributing child pornography and indecent acts with children. So this person molested or did something aggressively yeah. sexual toward children, and now they are in jail for it. Um, and so my point was that, you know, this person was all out there in the public throwing this out there like, this is a wonderful thing. They're not hiding they're not hiding. They're out there in public and they're looking at us saying, why do you hate drag people? Why do you think this is so bad for kids? And then a very quiet story comes out about that person um, distributing child pornography and engaging in sexual lewd acts with children and getting jail time for it. Hey, speaking of which, Portland, uh, Oregon, a very left-leaning place, guess how much time this child predator got in jail? Guess, guess how much? One year. One year in jail for doing these things to children and distributing child pornography. Well, and we, we, had a, uh, we had a... So, yes, they are light on... They are easy on predators. They always have been. Well, and um, username Bostad asked a question. Can you please address John Money and the creation of gender ideology? Who is John Money? He I, is an absolute, be, vile, disgusting so this would person be, this who's would rotting be, in hell right now. This would be... This would be a, this would be a whole episode, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give everyone a summary because, you know, Bossy, brings up a, a good question. So let's start off here real quick. David Reamer, David was born in 1965. He had a twin brother. When he was eight months old, his penis was accidentally cut off during surgery, right? His parents contacted John Money, a psychologist who was, a who was developing a theory of gender neutrality. His theory claimed that a child would take the gender identity he, she was raised with rather than the gender identity corresponding to the biological sex. David's parents brought him up as a girl and money wrote extensively about this case, claiming it supported his theory. However, Brenda, as he was named, was suffering from severe psychological and emotional difficulties. And in her teens, remember it was a boy, when she found out what had happened, she reverted back to being a boy. This case study supports the influence of testosterone on gender development as shows that David's brain development was influenced by the presence of this hormone and effects on gender identity was stronger than the influence of social factors. That's what, that's what they say. But you need to understand some of the things that were, were done on this. All right. So John Money believed that gender identity is primarily learned through one's upbringing, nurture, as opposed to one's inborn traits, nature. He proposed that gender identity could be changed through behavioral interventions. And he advocated that gender reassignment was the solution for treating any child with intersex traits or atypical sex anatomies. He argued that it's possible to habilitate a baby with a defective penis more effectively as a girl than a boy. Now, there's there's some other things in here I'm trying to get to that, that are they're interesting here. David's twin brother Brian served as 
David's twin brother, Brian, served as the ideal control because the brothers had the same genetic makeup, but one was raised as a girl and the other as a boy. Money continued to see David and Brian for consultations and checkups annually. During these checkups, Money would force the twins to rehearse sexual acts and inspect one another's genitals. On some occasions, Money would even photograph the twins doing these exercises. Money claimed that the childhood sexual rehearsal play was important for healthy childhood sexual exploration. With siblings? This is the guy. As children? This is the guy. This is the ick factor. And this is one of the... But you gotta understand, this guy's work has informed so much of what's being pushed now as scientific and medical analysis supporting transition. I've never heard. Uh, I, so these people that he did these experiments on, these this set of twins have both since committed suicide in adulthood. Both of them? Both. E- even the one that didn't have the... Yes. the yeah, because they were, they were both... They were because both they, were both they, they were both sexually abused yes. with yeah. each other as children. Yes. I've never heard of this guy in my life, John Money. I've He's never disgusting. heard his name. He yeah. is absolutely uh, disgusting. Well, Condu- and, and again, he was considered, I mean, <laughs> worked at Johns Hopkins. And I'm Hopkins. the resident historian. Right, worked at not- Johns Hopkins. <laughs> We're not talking about some guy that was practicing. Some random guy in a van basement. that, no. you know, with, with a sign free money or, you know, free candy. This was a, a like, like, like clinically trained, licensed yes. medical professional. Yep. When yep. did this happen? This was. I'm assuming see, this was um, decades this ago. This was in the 60s. Okay. 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, why do they not? Well, actually, I think well, I know Matt why Walsh they don't did. Teach Matt about Walsh. This. Matt Walsh actually yeah. talked about John Money. I've never um, heard this guy. And what is a woman? Long. Yeah, but but again, it's it's we're not supposed to listen to Matt Walsh, right? We're we're supposed to listen to guys like John Money. But then when you actually learn about what John Money did and how he came to his conclusions and, and the absolute sexual perversion involved here, then we're supposed to say, well, he wasn't the only one. That, that's we're not ba- that's a straw man argument. So we Bastiat says I'm now a fan of you, Nick, for life. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I'm I'm really glad that he asked this question and that you had a chance to bring this up because I genuinely, I've never heard of this. There is another uh, another person. I don't know if it was John Money or another one that wrote an entire research book about sexuality um, at all ages, and they conducted sexual experiments. Um, I don't really want to say exactly what it was, but it, it, it was very, Is it very also bad ick factor. Yes. Yeah. But they, they conducted these experiments and documented the bodily response on subjects as young as six months old. Okay. So here's the, here's the question that I have. And maybe this gets into like, uh, I, I'd love to, to show people what the Democrats said in Virginia, because yeah. like, one thing that, that you keep seeing from people is is that like, oh, you know, this is this is a, a choice or, you know, gender is a social construct. And this whole and, movement was born out of sexual abuse and perversion. So like this, but, this but, guy but, is know, the, the father of this movement. The, the, the question I have, though, is that like now knowing this stuff that I literally did not know five minutes ago. I mean, I have my opinions on yeah. this other stuff too, but I didn't yeah. know this stuff about like this John Money guy and and the exper- twisted experiments that he conducted. How does this not completely shatter the left's narrative on gender being a social construct? Because if you take two identical siblings mm-hmm. and you raise one as as their actual gender, their biological sex and then you raise the other one as the opposite of what they they were biologically born as and yet the end result is suicide oh well, christian christian how christian 
real experiments on children haven't been tried. By the way, we just got, I think right? a, we just got, I think a $250 donation with oh, wow. a message that said, uh, finally, someone cares about the future of the world and the children who have no fault. Thank you all. No, no, I, well, I appreciate you. it. Thank you for, thank you for watching and supporting us. Um, Michal well, yeah, Sandor said that. And I, I mean, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm sure that, that many of the other people well, how, in, how in often, our chat, like, like how, how, like, often walk do we hear, through, how does this not completely shatter their narrative? How on, often, wait a second. Wait, is their narrative shattered on socialism? Is their narrative shattered on central planning? Is their narrative shattered on, on, on replacing, you know, the, the traditional family with government programs? No, it's never shattered. It's never shattered because if, if you have a if you have a deep psychological moral belief that this is the appropriate course of action that this is this is not only the scientifically justifiable but it's the morally justifiable course of action well then you are going to continue to press ahead no matter the results because the real problem is the right people just haven't been in charge yet we just got another five dollar donation from somebody else, Mother Station, who simply wrote the author Alfred Kinsey. Oh, That's gosh, the one yeah. who. That? Okay, so I couldn't remember the name, and this person um, was helping me out. Uh, it was Alfred Kinsey who conducted those experiments on babies as young as six months old, and like all these different ages. He has charts and everything. It's absolutely disgusting. You guys, is he another John Money type guy? Oh yeah, yes. big time. Yes. Sexual behavior in the human male, sexual behavior Listen, in the you human guys, female. Those okay. Were the books. If you watch nothing else today besides this and one other thing, please go and watch What is a Woman? Yes. Because Matt Walsh rips the rips this thing wide open and he goes into a lot of the information with sources cited and everything on exactly what we're talking about right now. Well, he I talks mean, about Kinsey and he talks about money. And look, I, I get it. Some people, they might not like Matt Walsh. They might not like Daily Wire. That, that's fine. But if, if you want a guy that in one short documentary actually managed to talk about people like Kinsey, people like money, and, and actually expose some of the things they did and advocated for and how they came to their conclusions, that this is this is the crazy part. There's a lot of people that will just read the book, like the sort of conclusions that Kinsey came up with, but have no real concept of how he actually arrived at them. The sort of experimentation that he did on people, the sort of experimentation that they did on children in order to arrive at those conclusions. You would just think that this would be... Uh, I, I look, I I get this. This is like you know the the people saying, oh well, if this is true, why doesn't the news talk about this? Yeah. I, I obviously we we kind of know why. We kind of know why the legacy uh, like, news doesn't. The, the fact is, is that there are some things that are more out there in the public than others. Because let's be honest, the left. We've talked about this on this podcast, right? The left dominates the media, academia, Hollywood large segments of the government, corporate America. I mean, they control almost every single public and private institution in this country to varying degrees. So I get why, you know, it's not blasted on the internet everywhere, but like the whole John money thing, like why is that not brought up consistently as, as just something that the general public knows about? Not, not, not that like these big institutions or corporations or Hollywood talks about it, but like how how have I lived almost 30 years without ever hearing? I mean, maybe that's more well, of a damning indictment of me than well, part than, of it is because we're, we're dealing. I'll a lot. tell you exactly why you don't like the ick factor. You scroll past it. I, I, I think that that could be it. I think another, I think another component of this is that I, I think there are, you look at the trend of, of all the things that are happening right now and how quickly it's somebody like, wrote in chat, by the way, this sounds a lot like some Epstein stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's it, like a lot of this has happened in such a short period of time 
right? It, it was so much of this has happened within a short period of time. We're really talking about like the last 15 years, not even that, more like the last six to seven where there's just been this drumbeat, uh, especially directed toward children, right? Uh, the whole argument back in 2008, 2009, 2010, it was about things consenting adults did. And specifically, it was just about things with, with you know, <laughs> the LGB, right? That was it. it. It's only been in the last in the last several years that this conversation has now transitioned because it's come to public light. It's not because this is new. This obviously isn't a new. We're talking about studies that were conducted in the in the in the forties, the fifties, the sixties, the seventies. Well, this is that was all laying groundwork for academia. But that's the point, right? Is that it, you you can't look at if if you look at what's going on in academia or becoming prominent within the university system right now, and you think, oh, well, that's just a bunch of crazy academics we talking to a bunch up. of crazy college students. Right now, you might be right. You won't be right in five, 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Because when those, when, when they're allowed to push this sort of stuff as if it is legitimate science or medical research. And the next thing you know, you have a generation that has been grown up to not only believe that this is scientific, but that it's moral, it's moral and it's good and it's positive. And anybody standing against it is now violating essential human rights. You've now equipped people to not only support not only tolerate, but encourage this and then turn around and act as if anybody who disagrees is engaging not only in a form of bigotry, but with the sort of language being used now, now you're engaging in violence. So we've talked about this on this podcast before when we did the episode about the the academic origins of wokeism, because I, I, I we actually opened that episode up with a paper that I discovered when I was working on, on one of my essays for grad school that had been written the year that I was born in 1994 to using all the buzzwords and language that is now in the general public about wokeism, about whiteness and privilege and all this other stuff. Right. And, and I use that as an example to say what they're talking about in academia, what they were talking about in academia 30 years ago is now in the public sphere, just openly talked about on Twitter today. Yeah. Well, likewise, what's being talked about in academia today that will be in the public sphere in yeah. 30 years. Yeah. And in fact, you probably remember this case because this was in Virginia. Remember the ODU professor? Yes. Who was he, in academia yeah. writing about how basically minor we need to normalize persons. minor attractive persons. So give it give it 20 years, give it 30 years, yeah. give it maybe even less than that. And They're laying well, groundwork, but a lot of these names that are, that are being thrown out there, like somebody else actually said, uh, now talk about Magnus uh, Hirschfeld. Listen, all of these people were in the academic world writing papers and doing this under the banner of scientific research. Okay. And then this was fed to academia and it has been normalized and chewed on by everyone in academia. And now it's leaching out into the rest of society. And this is just how this stuff works. This is the great brave new frontier. Well, and it's, in a, and, and here's what I'm, my point is in all of these people that we've brought up that were, are considered the father of these movements. These three people are considered the fathers of this LBGTQ movement and um, things of the sexual orientation nature. Every single one of them conducted things on children, children. So children are an integral part of this movement, whether you like it or not. And they're going to end up right where they started with the kids. 
There, in 1977, some of the most famous names of the French intellectual world, including Sartre, Bathos, Beauvoir, uh, Deleuze, Guattari, Foucault, and Derrida. And Sartre was big on existentialism. Foucault, Foucault and Derrida. Foucault are. and Derrida were big on um, postmodernism and deconstructionism. They signed a series of petitions in major newspapers calling for the decriminalization of sexual relations between adults and minors. So again, it's, it's important. These are the intellectual, yes. for, for clarity to the audience, these are the intellectual forerunners of modern day progressivism, particularly the postmodernist yes. strand mm -hmm. of it. So it, it's important to understand that with your Sartre, your Foucault, your Derrida, um, again, Sartre, I'd say, is probably best known with, with existentialism, Foucault, postmodernism, Derrida, deconstructionism. But if you're, if you're a philosophy major in college, you're, you're reading these guys. It's required reading. Right, you're reading these guys. If, if, you're, if you're a, um, and again, if you're, if you're going through um, other classes, you're, you're reading money, and you're, or, or you're at least reading texts heavily influenced by people that were influenced by money. Right. Um, you know, and, and so... When, when I, there was another question on here where it was, you know, do we see this going? I apologize. It, it's kind of gone up here a little bit, but do you, um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Nick, let me jump in just for a second on this topic. Uh, there was a few weeks ago, we needed some work on our HVAC in the studio done. And uh, we, we called someone who's a family friend and, and he came and he was actually a listener of the show. And he and I were talking about the education system and everything. And I believe one of his daughters just graduated high school and the other one is in early high school or late middle school. And he said that his daughter who, you know, is only four years older. So didn't hear anything about the trans issue and, you know, by or anything of that nature, but his younger daughter, who's just four years younger knows everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it took four, it very, moving it took four years. Well, somebody, it, so it, Hunter Perry asked, do you think these problems will be fixed in the near future or do you think the possibility of these problems going away over time is more plausible? Um, so that's an interesting question because the way it's worded is the assumption is the problems will go away, will it be near term or will it be a long term? I will tell you right now, the problems going away will be entirely dependent on how we respond. This, this again, I, I, I've said this before, this whole, you know, history has a long arc, but it, it arcs toward justice. That's not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. I mean, we're, we, society, I mean, entropy is a thing. Yeah. We're, we're unraveling. Like, you're not putting this back in the box. But here's, here's what I'll say. Here is the good news, right, to this question. Here's the good news. Because so much of this sounds bad, and we got some more bad yeah, stuff I'm to go through. Yeah, I'm about to say, I'm super black-pilled now. <laughs> we got some more bad stuff to go through, but I, I want to I talk about the good news. The good news is, is that if you're the sort of person that, that, that actually subscribes to, to a worldview that, that offers you, you know, a, a, objective truth and, and an objective moral law, and you're, you're sitting there and you're working hard and you're raising your kids and you're taking personal responsibility for speaking, you know, truth into your children's life. And, and, and you're not, and, and look, this always gets me in trouble. I'm at the, I don't care point. If you're not just totally outsourcing the raising of your children to other institutions, whether that be a government run education system, whether that be to a, the, the TV streaming services, TikTok, right? If you're not doing that, if you're if you're maintaining a certain degree of um, you know parental responsibility and control over the things that your kids interact with, especially through those formative years, where 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 they're learning you know how to think about the world and what is the proper way to address in, in critical thinking, you can beat this. You can beat all of this. 
right? And, and I'm not just I'm not just saying this out of, out of you know theory. My my oldest daughter's 20 years old. Her her, her she she does uh, a lot of work within the arts, within cosmetology, within theater. Not exactly bastions of you know conservative Christian thought. Um, but I'm, I'm very, very proud of the way that she conducts herself in that environment because she is able to speak the truth in love to a point where she never compromises on her principles. And yet her friends who are dealing with enormous amounts of confusion and frustration and depression all feel as if they can go to her as a safe space to talk to somebody who loves and cares about them, but will never shy away from telling them what she actually believes is the truth because she's done the hard work of convincing them that she loves them. She sees the person created in the image of God and she wants their life to be wonderful and incredible. But the only way that she can do that is if she's honest with them. And even when they disagree with her, they know that they're going to hear the truth in love. And, and I'm so, I'm so proud of her for that. And she was prepared too. she didn't, she wasn't thrown to the wolves. You raised her to, to be, but it's the, the, you know again the, the good, intellectually rigorous with her ability to defend her worldview. Well, I mean, it was it wasn't who don't know we did we homeschooled all three of our mm -hmm. kids. Yeah, it wasn't like like you two Ray because I've known it's so funny. Like I, I look at Lily now and and she's you know a grown adult, but I've known her since, since she was since, since she was like ten or something like yeah. that because I've known Nick and Tina for so long. But like you've raised your children to like not just say this is correct, believe in it, but here's the reasons why and here's how you can defend the truth of, of what I'm raising you with. A lot of parents will just say, you need to believe in this because I say so. And you've talked about this repeatedly in, in previous episodes of the podcast of why you are not setting your children up for, for success if you simply reinforce power structures and say, you need to believe in this or say this or do this because I say so and I'm authority, you know, a, a authority figure in your life because you will not be an authority figure in their life for long. Lily is no longer a little kid anymore. She's an adult. She's almost of drinking age. <laughs> and so like the point is, is that what happens when Lily goes into a, um, an industry, right? She's, she's really into acting and theater and the arts, which are very left wing yes. industries. What happens when the authority figures in her life are now her coworkers or her boss who have extremely left wing views and now challenge the, the worldview that you raised her with and say, no, this is correct. They have in the past. And Lily is amazing. She holds her own. She stands up. I mean, uh, she's had um, authority figures within uh, some of the theater groups that she's in um, basically try to bait arguments between her and other students that they know are on the other side of the spectrum um, in order to sort of challenge her. Uh, and this would be like a teacher challenging, uh, getting two students to challenge each other. Well, I'm just, Lily is amazing. She just, She's like, that's not how this works. Let me break it down for well, you. Well, and she can. She can break it down. I, think I, will, the education, I will say, I will say, I will say okay. this, though. And it's it's because the reason why I think that's done sometimes is because the assumption is, is that because we've raised our daughter and all of our kids, right? And we have a 20-year-old, 17-year-old, 15-year-old. So all of them are kind of distance, different stages of, of interacting and whatnot. But Lily's the first one, like, you know, she, she graduated, right? She's, she's out there. Um, 
the assumption is, is that, oh, because you raised her with this worldview, because you homeschooled her, she must be totally sheltered, completely unaware of different viewpoints or, or realities. Remember what I called her? Complete, yeah, yeah, an awkward, <laughs> you know, homeschool kid. Socially right? awkward homeschool. Yeah, they, like that's that's the impression. And when that doesn't, when that doesn't, when, when her behavior and her conduct and her ability to respond and to do so, and, and I, I would argue that a, a lot of times, you know, I, I can come off as, let's just say the, the polite version is passionate. The, uh, maybe the not so polite version is, is angry at times. She does a much better job of, of really coming off just empathetic, sympathetic, um, when, when she's giving her responses and pro a part of that is probably because of, you know, the environments that she's operating in. Um, but I, but I think that's, I think that's important is that, again, it, it's not as if she can't, um, there, there are so many areas where she will be far more influential than I am because um, of, of the approach that she takes toward, toward the particular discussion. She's so, a lot gentler. So, yeah. So the, the good news is, the good news is um, you can't, we can beat this, but you got to choose to beat it. You got to choose to beat it. It's not, no one's coming to save you. How about that? No one's coming to save you. You're either going to save yourself, your family, your kids, or no one's going to do it. And if you take that mentality, I promise you, you will find fellow travelers. But if you sit around waiting for them to show up, you'll find none of them and you'll wake up one day wondering what the hell happened. We have another question that is related to raising children and, and um, you know, the, basically the education system that they grow up in. Um, and, and this person says, Nick, have you, uh, it's also from Boston. And they say, Nick, have you heard of John Dewey and his books on socialism oh and how he impacted gosh. American education? Dewey, Dewey, I lay more, uh, we could go back to the 1850s if we really want to talk about some of the founding uh, concepts. I of, mean, we could do this as a whole podcast yeah, we, we in the could, future, but we, if you want to briefly will, talk yeah, on so, it. So to give you an idea, John Dewey was probably the most influential uh, person with respect to the development of, uh, or, or the way modern education, uh, public education developed within the progressive era in the 20th century. And, and he did have very, very, you know, socialist, um, Marxist influence worldview. He, he really saw, um, he really saw the parents as kind of being a problem with respect to the education and, and bringing up of children within the sort of society he wanted to create. And the reason why we say this is influenced by Marx is because Marx was also adamant about this idea that the family kind of stood in the way of, of overall state objectives. And if we really wanted to create the sort of person that we needed for this utopian civilization that we were all going to want, you know, one day inhabit, uh, then we, we were going to have to have the state playing the predominant role with respect to the education of children. Now that, again, you could do a whole episode, you could do multiple episodes on how John Dewey sought to incorporate this within public education. But the reason why it's so important to understand some of the motivation behind what Dewey was doing is because it ends up explaining how some of the systems that he put in place, some of the, the pedagogy and whatnot, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, well, that seems kind of benign until you understand where it was leading. And then all of a sudden it's not so benign anymore. So again, I... I don't want to, I don't want to get, it's a great point, boss. Yeah, yeah. We should definitely do a whole thing on um, kind of the history of maybe public education within the United States and, and where it's gone and, and what some of the, um, what some of the pushes were for it. it I'll tell you what you want to get into. Th this was a conversation I had with a student again, who thought, thought it was inappropriate for me to suggest that if a, if a student starts identifying one way and the school starts reinforcing that decision, then they should inform the parents. He said, you're forcing the school to out their child to their parents. And, and what if it's going to be a bad situation? And again, the point I brought up was, I said, okay, we, we make a clear distinction within the United States. We have at least up to this point. And that's the idea that children have the primary, or excuse me, adults have the primary responsibility for the education, upbringing, and welfare of their child. 
And the reason why we take that position is not because we believe every parent is just a gem. It's not because we believe every parent does the right thing. I have something to it's say to part, that when you're done. It's in part because when we look at society, not, not just the natural order of things with respect to, yes, of course, a mother and a father have, generally speaking, by nature, a far more compelling interest in, in, in the well-being of that child to the point where we see incredible acts of, of parents, you know, sacrificing themselves for their kids in a way that you would never expect a, a state bureaucrat to do the same. It's not just that. We also see what happens when the state attempts to supplant that parental authority with its own authority. And guess what? You don't find a bunch of happy-go-lucky, classically liberal societies preaching tolerance and, and, and wonder. What you find is the Hitler youth, right? right. What, what you find are authoritarian societies which then come in, and, and I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about the government assisting with education. I'm talking about the government seeing itself as the primary institution responsible for the care, upbringing, welfare, and education of the child. When you see societies that really take on that role and attempt to constantly attempt to move the parent out of that sphere, it is not because they want to be more free. It is because they are more authoritarian. So I'm, I'm not suggesting, so just so I clarify for YouTube and everyone else, I'm not suggesting that any sort of public school system is automatically rooted in this desire to be an authoritarian society. What I am saying is every single authoritarian society has not only wanted the state to be the primary institution responsible for the education of the children, but they have actively worked to remove the parents from that sphere at the same time. And if that's not something you're taking note of as you watch everything that's going on, well, then I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You're just ignorant of history. Question. Uh, there is a person, uh, Dark Zero, said, question, I hear a lot about families, but how can those of us who are single and childless help? So I, I think, well, <laughs> so get married and have children. Two, yeah, yeah, I, don't, I don't want to be like flipping and say, Hey, go, you go, go find a, a wonderful spouse, get married and, and have lots of kids. Although I will say it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great path. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, again, part of this, part of this is political, right? Part of this is political. We, we have a system of representative government where the people making the laws, you get some say on, on who those people are. And I, and I think part of this is, is about ensuring that when you elect people, that they are capable of accurately representing you. So in a, in a, in a constitutional Republic, like we have with representative government, I always tell people, because people sometimes ask like your job is to support. We, the people, I'm like, we, the people don't agree. We, the people don't agree, which is why the makeup of every elected body looks so different. So my job is to be honest with you about what I believe, why I believe it, and what I intend to do about it so that you can determine whether or not I will be an accurate reflection of your voice in Richmond or Washington, D.C. or wherever you're electing somebody. You need to ask more, more detailed questions of the people that are actually seeking to represent you. Um, and, and for a lot of the, one of the most frustrating things for me is when I will go on, when I will go on Twitter, for instance, or social media and say, Hey, my democratic colleagues just did this. I will be told by their followers that I'm lying. And then I will cut and paste, you know, like here, go look at the bill yourself. I'm not lying about it. And so one of the, what that tells me is that a lot of the conversations that are going on in some of these areas are not being backed up by facts. It's being backed up by this, this nice sounding hyperbole. We just want to help the kids. They want to ban books. Oh gosh, I don't, I don't want to ban books. Banning books is bad, right? Didn't it like authoritarian regimes ban books? And then you find out that the books that we're talking about actually contain pornography and then your kid's school library. They're using people's trust of them. Yes. In order to, 
it, it basically they have a certain amount of credibility that they have earned that now they are exploiting. Um, can I ask, I, I need to ask one question for, for those in the audience. Like some people are coming in and they're seeing that you have a live stream and they're coming in from your shorts and they're like, whoa. Oh yeah, I saw more. that from Jordan Teach. Yeah, <laughs> there's more to Nick. Um, and so they said, um, how do I find out more about you? So can you give people that might be here for the first time from your shorts, just a quick oh explanation you, about who like, and who why and what Freitas. you are. If you, if you went from my <laughs> shorts to this episode, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. What a, what a time, what a yeah, first episode was, to jump into. Was, so, okay. Yeah. For, the, for those of you who don't know, I'll make this quick. Uh, but I, I, first of all, I really appreciate people coming from the shorts over and, and taking a look at what we're talking about. Um, so a little bit about my background of people at the table, Tina's, Tina's my wife. In fact, uh, Yesterday was our 24th wedding anniversary. Yes. Um, you know, Christian is someone that I've worked with in the state legislature. Uh, and, and again, uh, a historian, great guy. Nick Hamilton is someone that I've also worked with within the political space. Um, and it, it's kind of the technical brains behind everything that we're doing. Um, my background before the legislature, I, I, again, I currently serve in the Virginia House of Delegates. I serve on the Education Committee, the Finance Committee, the Public Safety Committee, and the Courts of Justice Committees. Uh, I also chair subcommittees on higher education, as well as what we affectionately call the gun committee in public safety. So I, I chair the subcommittee that all of the gun legislation goes through uh, within the Virginia legislature. Um, that's a bit of my, my political background. Before that, I was, I was military. Uh, I did uh, about 11 years, a little under 11 years active duty uh, in the military as an infantryman and a paratrooper at the 82nd Airborne Division, uh, 25th Infantry Division, and then I was a Green Beret. I did two combat tours over in Iraq with 1st Special Forces Group. We have three kids. We've homeschooled. We, we're, we're very interested in, in homesteading. Uh, and one of the reasons why we do this podcast and this YouTube show is because over time, we, we've we've addressed issues and obviously being within the political realm, I, I got to address issues and take questions all of the time and, and really have tried to develop a, a very coherent, easy to understand political philosophy of the way that I approach things within the legislature. And you got and, tired of people making bad arguments. You wanted and, to help and I, them make I good got, ones. I got really tired of my own side making what I thought were hor horrible arguments or avoiding them altogether because they didn't think it was politically palatable. And and my belief was is that, no, if something is true, then there's always a good way to talk about it. You just got to find what it is. And And part of that was also building on my military experience because as a Green Beret, a lot of people have this idea of Green Berets that it's John Rambo, right? It's a bunch of commandos just rolling around blowing stuff that up. That is what it is. That's only part of the job. <laughs> no, a lot of it was working by, through, and with the local population. And so you found yourself working with, with very diverse groups, oftentimes with very diverse objectives, in order to try to find common ground in order to, to meet things. But you had to be willing to address difficult issues and situations. Now, obviously the stakes were a little bit different in a war zone than they are here in the United States, than they are back home, but it, certain similar concepts apply. And so one of the things that we try to do on, on this show Mention is- Mention the other projects you do, please. I will. Thanks. Thank you. Other ways they can find you. One, one, of the, one of the things that we try to do on this show that I think is really important is to equip you with intellectually rigorous arguments. Uh, because again, something that really frustrates me about sometimes conservative shows is it's all about getting you angry, getting you mad, but not really providing any sort of um, concepts, ideas, direction. I'm like, okay, what can we practically do about this? And then the other thing that we were, were very serious about is we don't want to just give you political solutions. One of the things we're adamant about is that the government doesn't engage in solutions it engages in trade-offs. And some of those trade-offs are, are good and necessary. And many of them are very, very bad and intrusive, counterproductive. And, and in some cases I would go so far as to say evil. 
And so the idea is, is that how do we, how do we develop intellectually rigorous arguments to make? And then, and then how do we offer various things from our experience, whether it's, it's us homeschooling for 15 years or, um, you know, you know, collaborating with other people that have, have other experiences that have been, you know, relevant, important, we think that could be helpful. And again, I, that's just why one of the, whenever you hear me, I, I will sometimes give, Hey, this is what we should probably do from a political standpoint. But whenever you hear me say, but here's the good news, I'm usually offering some sort of uh, experience or lesson learned sometimes from something I did the wrong way, sometimes from stuff that we did the right way on, on things that you can do where you don't got to ask anybody's permission. You can just go do it. Um, you don't got to ask somebody's permission to be a better husband or a better wife. You don't got to ask somebody's permission to be a better father. You don't got to ask somebody's permission to, to be more capable or to be more physically fit or to, to learn how to do stuff that is um, both exciting and interesting. The, the homesteading has probably been the newest venture for Tina and I that is kind of out of the blue. Like you, three years ago, we might have had the occasional garden and now we, we've expanded quite a bit and, and we love it not only because of the capability that it does, but but also because the community it's, it's, it's helped launch us into. Um, it is so wonderful to work with people of, of diverse and varying backgrounds and, and ideas that are, you know, really trying to help each other and really take a lot of joy in helping other people and, and learning from their, you know, mistakes and improving. So that's, that's what we do on the show. So I'm sorry, that was probably a longer introduction that somebody wanted, but no, um, no, that was a great well, introduction. There's other things like the Y minutes that you work on. That's another channel, the Y minutes channel on YouTube. There's, um, you can also follow it on Facebook. Yep, That channel um, is linked, um, on Nick's channel at the bottom. Okay. And then there's also the making the argument channel where this is all going to move there. And then you've got Nick's reels, which are on Instagram and you've got his Facebook page on Facebook. So and you his can Twitter find him page and his Twitter page. So you can find him in all kinds of places and you can get all kinds of different content from Nick. Um, some of it's real political. Some of it's not so political. So the, um, the last thing I, I do want to, there's one more article I want to okay. get to before we close out. I said, this is important. I know we're, we're having, we'll, we'll kind of address the audio at some other point, but we, we have this, um, this article from Fox news and, um, what it, what it talked about was a couple of Democrats that were caught on hot mics. Um, Senator Monty Mason and delegate, uh, uh, Shelly Simon. This is in Virginia. This is in Virginia. So these are these are two of my colleagues. I, and I'm I, not able to play the video, but I've already updated this description of the YouTube live stream with the link to this video. So you, you can take a look at it. But essentially they were they were talking to a group and they they ended up describing various things that we were we were trying to do with respect to parental rights, with respect to some of the concerns about content that was coming in school libraries. And and they they referred to it as as garbage. They were basically being very, very dismissive of it. I think you referred to all this like, you know, parental rights. It's crap or something like that. You can go. You can go read it. The, the, the thing that I want people to understand about this, the, the the formative point, because I don't think this shocks a lot of people that Democrats got caught on a hot mic. Yeah. Um, doing. I mean, after all, Terry McAuliffe came right out and said that he didn't think parents should be, you know, determining certain things that a lot of Virginia parents ended up disagreeing with, and he lost the election. Um, what's What's important to understand is that it's not like Senator Monty Mason is like a a, a far out there, you know, left winger. Right. Yeah. He, he, he would be considered in almost every circle as being kind of a, a more moderate uh, Democrat. And he's actually in a very, very close race. I think he's running against a, a sheriff in, in the Can district. I play it over my mic? Is that possible? Because um, it's possible. I don't know how it's going to sound, though. Can can we just try it real quick? Because I, sure. I know everybody wants to hear this. Right. State senators dismiss parental rights issues like shielding minors from pornography. 
They called it garbage and stupid. Watch this. And, uh, online parental garbage on the pornography bill. But he sticks a bill on top that we've rejected twice. And, and, and said that the Senate Democrats were playing politics with children's lives. I mean, it's just all a part of this parental crap that they're, that they're selling. This is why we have to keep the Senate. <laughs> because the, the House is in the hands of the Republicans, and they can push through all kinds of stupid things. And we rely on the Senate to kill it all. So, there you go. so to give you an idea, what they're what they're talking about, right? Is is again, um, we we had we had bills which said if you're going to have these books with openly pornographic material in them, you have to have on your school library website, you have to have a list of what those books are, so parents can be made aware, and that they can opt their kid out of checking them out. Right there, we go. That's that's the stupid thing. That's the garbage. We had other bills which tried to protect women's sports. That's, that's the garbage. In fact, in fact, I, I watched as one of my Democrat colleagues, we had, we had 17 different, I think we had about 17 different witnesses get up and testify in favor of the bill. Most of them, uh, young female athletes to include Riley Gaines. And, and after they got done, uh, one of my Democrat colleagues said, oh, I just don't understand what motivates this. It's just the need to pick on kids. And, and that's amazing to me because for me, I, I find it fast. I don't know what has happened to progressive fathers where they think it's appropriate for their daughters to be forced to undress in front of boys in the school locker room. I would like to know at, at what stage of your political ideology did you just decide that that was okay and appropriate for your daughter? Because as a man, I don't understand how you do that. But that that was another bill died in the Senate. Um, we we had legislation. I had I had a very simple bill, which said that schools could not withhold things like national merit scholarship notification from students, because we had seventeen different. 17 different schools in Virginia that had withheld it. Some of it, logistical error. Fine, I'll take them at the word. But some of it, it was specifically because of their equity policy. And so these kids were not able to put National Merit Scholarship in their transcripts that they sent off to college. Right? They can't get that back. And we said, okay, from now on, this stuff comes in. You're, you're required to give it to the student within a reasonable time period. Died in the Senate. So yeah, they're, they're correct. They do rely on the Democrat-controlled Senate to kill all of these parental garbage bills. Yep. Bills that would actually inform you more about what's going on within your school. And these are the same people that are basically saying that, oh, well, none of this is really going on. They, they're just completely gaslighting yeah. us about what's going on. Well, that's why they, they refer to it as crap. They refer to it as garbage because they want you to believe yeah. that it's nonsense. Because after all, look at how reasonable Monty is, right? Oh, and Monty is supposed guy. to be the most moderate. He, he's on a that moderate side. guy, reasonable guy. This is what you need to understand. He may be moderate. By comparison, but if, if you're he's the, moderate in his rhetoric, but if you're the sort of person, if you're the sort of person that says, I think it's unreasonable and I want to refer to as garbage, a, 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 a bill which tells parents, we're going to notify you if, if books with pornographic material is in your, your kid's school library. I, I don't find that very moderate. And, and Christian said about it, he's moderate in his rhetoric. He's moderate in his rhetoric. But when it comes to some of these issues, the Overton window has shoved so far to the left in the Democratic Party right now that it is difficult to find. Again, we couldn't get one Democrat, not one in the entire Virginia General Assembly to vote to say, you know what, that it, fair enough. If, if there's books with those sorts of pictures in them, parents should at least be aware so that they can make an informed decision. And you know what? Some parents might be fine with it. and some That wasn't even good enough. That was a bridge too far for them. But what do they do? They go back and they, they describe it as garbage. They describe it as nonsense. 
They call us book burners. And then if you look at everything that we're talking about right now, I, I'm going to just to parents right now, you have every right, every right to be concerned with, with, with respect to what is going on within your country, within your legislatures and within your schools, especially, but you also have a responsibility to do something about it, right? It is no good talking about your right to be informed or your right to be, because I got news for you. If people like this who are considered the moderates within the democratic party, don't believe that right exists then you're not going to be able to execute it unless you insist upon it. And the way you insist upon it is not just showing up at the school board meetings. It's not just voting, although that's critical. You have to do those things if you want to overcome this. It's also about finding other ways to use the law to do FOIA requests. You should be requesting your schools. Do you have any of these books within the school library? I want to know about it. And then informing people and then elevating the voices, which actually are telling you what's going on. When you have people that are going around talking about their detransition stories, elevating that within social media, not turning away. As much as we don't want to look at what's going on, we have to. Because if we don't, in this moment, it's going to cross over into other lines you never imagined possible. Because so much of what we've illustrated here, the reason why the language is written in such a way, the reason why it doesn't do everything that it's sometimes being accused of, it just doesn't, they're trying to gauge the sensitivity toward it. They're trying to gauge how far can I get, right? And the moment you notice it and the moment you get upset, they're going to try to caricature you in a certain way. That's why the DOJ was looking at angry parents showing up to school boards. They were trying to use counterterrorism legislation in order to try to shut those, those down. Yeah. Parents are now domestic terrorists for disagreeing. But the backlash was so bad they had to pull back. They had to pull back. That doesn't mean they all, gave up, but though. But that doesn't mean they gave up. It doesn't mean they gave up. They will. They're look, in it for the long game. If they can't get, if they can't get you, to, if they can't get you to check out now, they'll keep pushing. They'll keep fighting. They'll pull back when they realize that okay, public opinion's not quite where we thought it was, and then they'll they'll be more subtle. And the thing is, is that you'll be so tired of the fight. It's like, oh, we'll just give them that. Just give them that. That's not a bit okay. We see where they're going. That's in there, and then they'll then they'll push some more. You have to be you have to be in this to win it. Or else it's your kids that are going to lose big. There's something that I wanted to bring up like 10 minutes ago that I think is really important and it'll feed into a future topic that that I know that all of us wanted to talk about. We wanted to do another relationship series in the future. And one thing that I remember when you were bringing up um, the legislation about, oh, the, the left's response about how, well, this is going to out kids to their parents. And they were outraged about that. Part of the reason that, that the left has such a visceral reaction to that, especially younger people within the left, people in my age group and younger, is that the family structure has completely collapsed in this country over the last 50 years or so. And a lot of people have grown up in broken homes and they don't have a stable father figure. They don't have a stable mother figure. They're, in, in many cases, their parents could be abusive. And so that to us sounds like a ridiculous counter argument when we say, you're telling me that you're against letting the parent know that the school is pushing this this gender indoctrination on children and, and encouraging them to you know use different pronouns and dress differently and and identify as something other than who they actually are biologically that sounds insane to us as conservatives but to some of these people on the left that are in that 20 something year old age group or younger it makes complete sense to them because their life experience is not necessarily the same as 
conservatives. Conservatives tend to grow up, not always. We did not. Nick and I and Tina did not grow up in single in, in a, a unified nuclear family. No. We all grew up in divorced households. Yep. Um, a lot of these people, especially younger than us, have grown up in even worse situations with higher divorce rates, more cases of things like parental abuse and stuff like that. And so when we look at this and we think naturally, well, the parent has the best interest in mind for the child. Of course, they're going to be invested in that child's upbringing and they're going to be concerned if that child's being indoctrinated into something that's destructive and false, a lot of these other people on the left, they do not have that same worldview as us in part, not entirely, but in part because their own life experiences are not the same as ours. And so that's just something that, that we should be aware of because that is a hurdle. That's a problem when it comes to us getting the message across on an important topic. And we're dashing our arguments against rocks right now. And I don't necessarily know how to solve that problem. It's more of, of just something that I've been aware of that I know will probably be brought up again in the future when we talk about relationships again in a more detailed podcast. When we're talking to friends and family on social media, commenting on other people's posts, and even, you know, like you said, Nick, elevating the voices and being active on social media about these things we're concerned about, we should all aspire to be more like Lily. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, one of the things that has been very uh, useful for the left so far in all of these arguments is shouting people down and silencing them and canceling them. And we just need to get to a point where that's fine. Cancel me. Do your worst. That's fine with me. I'm going to go ahead and continue to do and say what I know is correct and and right. And and that's all we can do. Um, you know, there's always been this push to say, oh, there's there's certain topics you don't talk about at work or in public. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. Well, I'm sorry, but that rule has only applied to the people on the right so far. And the left does not feel worried one bit about sharing their political philosophies in the Which public Which is their sphere. religion. <laughs> right. And, um, and their anti-religion. So... My my whole thing is we need to start standing up and and pushing back on this and letting them do their worst. I um I I've talked to some people who um they they'll get sort of EO complaints or well what do you call that like human resources yeah. complaints about them mentioning their religion at all or even just the way that they talk to the person or or um maybe they misgendered them or whatever it is. And yet that person has talked in explicit detail about their sexual life and has made uh, little cracks about this person's body or sec uh, jokes of a sexual nature. But this person who's a conservative is so terrified to bring that to HR. So this person pushing back and saying that they, they have religious views, they're the ones getting in trouble for saying, I'd rather you not talk about this in front of me because of my religious views. And they're too afraid to go to HR and say, this person is sexually harassing me. I am telling you right now, conservatives, you need to be the squeaky wheel. You need to go and, and make all of the, you know, complaints that, that are warranted that these people are also making because they need to hear both sides of this. And at this point, we're the ones getting silenced. Do not be silenced. 
Well, I think that pretty much levels that out <laughs> perfectly. Look, hey, we want to thank everyone for uh, for tracking along this episode again. Thank you for uh, dealing with the ick factor because, like we said, it exists, and we wish we didn't have to deal with this, but we do. And um, and again, the 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 bad news is is that it's there, and we're going to have to get active politically in order to combat it. The good news is is that there's so many other things that you can do because, as we have said before, and I will continue to say every opportunity I get a chance to. It is one thing to point out the lie, but if you want someone to let go of the lie, then you got to be able to point to the truth and you got to be able to demonstrate that not just with the arguments that you present, but how you live your life. Because a lot of the people that we're, we're talking about right now, um, they're hurting. And, and if we can't have sympathy, if we can't have empathy for other people made in the image of God who are hurting when they're doing this, even sometimes when they're doing things that we completely oppose, well, then we're actually missing the point. Because ultimately, I don't want to just win an intellectual argument. I want people to actually become aware of what the truth is, to embrace it, and to be able to live their life to the absolute fullest that God has intended for them. All right, well, thank you very much for joining us. Hamilton, do we have anything else? He keeps waving at me. There was one question that Sir of Potatoes uh, proposed that I also have. Oh, uh, okay. Well, shoot. You, I thought I just did a great closeout it, there. It, it was a great closeout. There's <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. you missed what Sir Potatoes said. Okay, what but, did Sir Potatoes say? He asked if there is, do you use beard oil? Because I've also been me- meaning to ask you this question. <laughs> it's the burning question on Freedom everyone's Freedom beard mind. oil brought to you. <laughs> like, do, yeah, actually, I do. I do. Wait, you what have brand? to. So, I don't know. I haven't, I have not said, actually... So for anybody that might be watching, I have not settled on a beard oil brand yet. <laughs> so I, I've used I've used a, a couple of different times. You kind of got to. Like, that's one thing people said. It was like, oh, it must be nice when you get I a mean, beard. I mean, I look homeless. You don't got to shave anymore. Like, right. your skin dries out yeah, pretty bad if yeah. you don't wear a beard oil. So it's really itchy. I, Nick, I Nick used that. to scratch his beard a lot. What's the one and, you got me? The Moroccan? Well, I got a Moroccan oil, which is actually a hair product, oh. which beard is hair so it works um and that stuff is amazing but it's really not beard it's not marketed as beard oil it's actually expensive oil for your before we close out there's one more like shout out that i really want to stress at the end of the episode and it's it's i really want to thank mihai sandor for the 250 super chat that was that was ron oh well that it was listed mihai was the five dollar one no, 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 no. Yeah, I was 250. Um, oh, that, 250. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I copied his name and everything because yeah, yeah. I wanted to make sure that yeah. I would, no, that I would was, bring that it up. Was, at we the really end. appreciate it. That's just, the first just, time that's happened. Yeah, just that's some, never happened. Just to for us. some context, these episodes we don't turn monetization on for because we know we're going to be talking about things that are likely going to have YouTube yeah. flag us. And yeah. so we're not getting when, commercial money. <laughs> yeah, when, when, when folks come in and help us out in the super chat, it's really, we're very grateful for that. So very thank good. you. And, and so far, we've only gotten a couple, but so far we've read every single single super chat that somebody sends so um hopefully we'll be able to keep to yeah. keep that up so I, mm-hmm. like i said i just wanted to really bring that up before we wrapped up today's Absolutely. episode no 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 that was that was great well once again thank you very much and uh we look forward to seeing you next episode